Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Ben Stockdale. Hello, Squeaky Clean listeners, and thanks for joining us today. Before we get started with this episode, we must say that NCSEA humbly stands in solidarity with all North Carolinians of color as we mourn the loss of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and the thousands of other black and brown persons murdered in America whose stories we may never know. We hope you will join us in our ongoing anti-racist education. You can find our full statement with a list of organizations to support on our blog. In today's show, we are talking about a petition at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC, that could dramatically affect rooftop solar owners and rooftop solar developers in North Carolina and across the country. I'm talking with two leaders who are working to stop this petition, and we encourage you to take action to protect solar rights. Clean energy. Clean energy. Our guest today has worked for decades on environmental policy and policy up and down the Western Hemisphere. This work has helped her grapple with the issue of sustainable development and how to make complex issues relevant to the community. Solar United Neighbors got its start when her son, Walter, asked, Mom, can we go solar? And in her role as executive director, our guest has been instrumental in the passage of landmark solar legislation and regulation. In April 2014, the White House selected our guest as one of 10 White House Champions of Change for solar development for her groundbreaking work to deploy solar in the National Capital Region. Friends of the pod, let's give a squeaky clean welcome to our very special guest today, Anya Schoolman. Anya, welcome to the pod. Hey, thanks for having me. We are really happy to have you. I know that Solar United Neighbors, and we'll just say for the purposes of this episode, Sun does some awesome work. So really looking forward to hearing more about what you all do. And of course, there's there's one primary reason that we're talking today, and we'll definitely get into that. But before we talk about kind of our main topic today, let's get a little bit of background on what Solar United Neighbors is and what do you all do? Well, Solar United Neighbors is a national organization that is trying to grow to represent the interests of people and businesses with rooftop solar. And we work in a bunch of different ways. We have state programs like organizing group purchases of people to go solar. And we have national programs like working to help promote the National Solar Home Tour, running a national program for scouting to learn about solar. So we run and running national campaigns like what we're going to talk about today. So we work in some states. We have about 11 states where we have deep programs and then we have national programs. But in general, no matter where we are, our kind of theory of change or our approach is Start with something pragmatic, start with something real and tangible, go solar. 
And then that's not the end, that's the beginning. So then join together, meet other people, work together, organize, and then fight for your energy rights. And we really see it as a cycle that happens over and over where more people go solar and each time it's a larger group, it's a more diverse group, it's a broader group, geographically, economically, racially, all of that. And then each cycle of coming together and organizing, you pass legislation and policy and market reforms that make it so more and more people can go solar. And eventually we want to see rooftop solar everywhere as maybe one of the most important sources for clean energy nationally. Awesome. Well, all of us love solar on this show, so I'm sure you'll be able to even maybe pick up some more neighbors through this podcast, and we're really happy to have you here today. So now let's jump into really why we're here and why we wanted to bring you on the show, because there is something really important happening at the national level with net metering. It's something that some of our listeners are probably familiar with, but Let's talk a little bit about what net metering is and why it's important for solar rights. Yeah, it's always a little bit of a tricky question to answer, but net metering is a policy that's been under state jurisdiction for nearly 40 years. And what it is in the most simplistic level is it's a policy that allows homeowners and businesses with rooftop solar who are basically producing energy during the day but using electricity from the grid at night to get credit for excess electricity that they produce. And in most states, it's traded kind of like rollover minutes, like you produce more during the day and then you get those credits and you get to use them at night. But the complexity is that each state has been working to sort of implement those rules in different ways. And that's the, the, the crux of the problem here. Got you. So why are we talking about net metering today? Because there's something going on at the uh, national level. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and why you're on the show today? At the FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, which is a federal agency that manages wholesale power and manages interstate commerce of electricity. And it's a regulatory body and they help establish energy markets. There is a group called NERA, which we don't know very much about. It's a secretive group that won't disclose who its members are or who's paying its bills, but they've filed a petition at the federal government level that says that the federal government should intervene on this issue of net metering. And they have an idea that uh, homeowners shouldn't be paid full retail or get full credits for the electricity they produce. And FERC, the federal agency, is considering that petition. And it's got people across the political spectrum in the United States. And I'm not just talking about solar lovers. I'm talking about regulators, public service commissions, attorney generals, utilities, rural electric co-ops, all kinds of actors across the U.S. are basically saying, wait a minute, we've been working for years to sort out how net metering should work in our jurisdiction and the federal government shouldn't come in now with a blunt instrument and tell us what to do. So that's where we're at. 
today. It's a petition at FERC to possibly end or transform net metering. So basically what you're saying is that someone who may have gotten rooftop solar, whether you're a residential homeowner or a business, you got rooftop solar with the understanding that you would receive this agreed upon compensation for the energy being returned back to the grid through net metering and that this is going to change that and and make it less likely that the homeowner the business owner is going to receive that full compensation that's right what what's written in the proposal is a very low amount of compensation for their excess production and who knows how it'll turn out? Honestly, nobody knows. And one of the biggest dangers is in this time of incredible economic insecurity, people do not want to lose jobs and they want to keep their industry moving and growing. And uncertainty is also very, very dangerous for an industry like solar. So it can be very damaging, even if, you know, 22 months from now, they come out with a policy that's not horrible, the very idea that FERC would take up this proceeding is going to be very damaging to solar. Wow. Okay. Well, I think I'm probably just like all the listeners who are hearing you talk about this and immediately I want to do something to prevent this case from affecting solar owners, whether you're a business or a residential homeowner. So what can solar supporters like me and like the squeaky clean listeners, what can we do to fight back against what's going on at FERC right now? Well, we have an easy way that anybody can take action. We, uh, working with um, the nonprofit Vote Solar, have set up a website called savesolar.org. It's really easy to find. And it's a way that anybody can provide comments and we will compile all those comments and submit them to FERC. And that, and it's divided. So if you're a business in the solar industry, you're somebody who has solar, or if you're just a concerned citizen, there's a place for you. We have a sample letter there, but you are really encouraged to customize your letter, put in personal details, and then all you gotta do is click submit and we'll do all the hard work of organizing them and getting them submitted to FERC. And of course, they don't make it easy to submit comments or get public input. It's not what they're used to. So we're going to do that work for everyone. The deadline for comments for this proceeding, on whether they're going to take it up or not, is June 15th. We're really asking people to go on social media, email their lists. For solar companies, we're asking them to email their customers directly and send them the link to save solar and ask them to take action. We really need especially people that already have solar or work in the industry to have their voice heard, but everyone's welcome to take action. Awesome. Well, that's definitely going to encompass a lot of our listeners here. So again, if you want to engage and we really encourage you to do that to stop this attack on solar rights, please visit savesolar.org. And also want to give a shout out to Thad Coley from Vote Solar. He's a previous guest on the show talking about the South Carolina Energy Freedom Act. And uh, I know he's doing a lot of work around this. So thanks for your work as well, Thad. And and thanks to you, Anya, for for the work that you and your group are doing. Now, let's let's kind of 
try to do some some futuristic thinking here and let's say that a lot of people engage on this issue we are able to stop this attack what is the best case scenario for this case and what do you see for the future of net metering if we can get past this yeah that's a great question well i think the best case scenario for this action is that FERC decides that this is really not a, a, a mess that they want to wade into. It really defies comprehension. It, it defies precedent. It doesn't make legal sense. And there is very, very broad bipartisan opposition to FERC getting involved in this. So we hope that the best case scenario is that the deadline for comments closes, FERC takes a quick quick consideration and very quickly, because again, that delay and uncertainty is damaging in and of itself, they quickly decide, no, this isn't an appropriate thing for FERC to deal with. This is clearly something that's regulated by states. It's always been regulated by states and it should go back to the states to sort out. So that's the best case scenario. And then you ask, well, what's the future of net metering? And I think that's a bigger, deeper philosophical question, because almost every state is grappling deeply with this each issue of, of net metering. There's been some overly simplistic, organized sort of industry groups like the Edison Electric Institute that have been pushing the idea that net metering is not fair to the system, that they're getting overly compensated. But for the most part, that's been replaced, even in more conservative uh, states, with a sophisticated analysis that really looks at how does rooftop solar integrate into a new multimodal, largely renewable grid of the future, where we have dynamic demand and we have dynamic production and we have to make it all fit together. And net metering or the rules on compensation for rooftop solar are becoming part of that larger, more sophisticated conversation. And I think that there's a, a tradition in the United States to let uh, states become laboratories. And I think that's what we're actually seeing. Some of the laboratories in the United States us, the solar supporters aren't too happy with the way they're going, and some of the laboratories were very excited, but states are sincerely picking up this challenge and trying to figure out what's the best way to balance all issues and move us into a different grid. And I think, you know, even if people don't want to admit it or they want to deny it, we are transforming our grid, and rooftop solar will be a huge part of it. And these rules will help talk about how we interact. So there's there's a long story here and a lot more of the story to tell, I think. Yes. And, and you know, thankfully, we have people like you that are going to be writing those next chapters for net metering and solar rights and standing up for all of our neighbors who have solar and for people who want to invest in solar because they're seeing that opportunity and hopefully we're able to be successful in stopping this attack on solar. So I, I want to thank you, Anya, for the work that Solar United Neighbors are doing. And again, if you're listening to this, please go to savesolar.org. 
It's very easy to get engaged and we need everyone's help before that June 15th deadline so we can stop this attack. So Anya, thank you so much for joining us today on the pod. Really appreciate the work you're doing and good luck in trying to stop this attack. Thanks so much. It's really been great talking to you and it's been great working with Vote Solar on this campaign. We just shared so many resources and working together. But my message to people is to remember that they won't listen to us unless we have you behind us. Mm. So the more people that take action, the more our voice will be heard. And it's it's really not a small point. We really need thousands and thousands of solar owners to step up and get their voice heard through this through this action. Yes, yes, definitely. Well, thanks so much, Anya. Really appreciate the work you're doing, and we definitely appreciate you being a guest on the show today. Well, thanks for having me, Ben. Our second guest today works daily to advance NCSEA's mission through evidence-based education and engagement with North Carolina's decision makers and energy consumers. As NCSEA's regulatory and policy manager, our second guest monitors, researches, and develops informed and credible responses to clean energy-related issues at the North Carolina Utilities Commission, General Assembly, and local governments. Daniel draws upon his background in multiple sectors of clean energy to advocate on behalf of the clean energy industry in ways that improve the economy and environment of his home state. Daniel received his undergraduate degree from Appalachian State University and his master's degree in city and regional planning from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Friends of the pod, let's give a squeaky clean welcome to our second very special guest today, NCSEA's very own Daniel Brookshire. Daniel, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Ben. Good to, good to talk with you again. Yes, definitely. You know, at this point, we've already talked with Anya. We've gotten some of the national background on what's going on at FERC, but I'm really hoping that you can dive in deep with some of the North Carolina nuances and how this is affecting our state in particular. So let's just start with talking about net metering in North Carolina and maybe how net metering has helped advance North Carolina's clean energy future. And what would you say net metering has been successful in North Carolina? Sure. So North Carolina, uh, like a lot of things, is pretty regulated in terms of net metering, especially for the investor-owned utilities. So the Duke Energies and the Dominion. Um, And ever since about the mid-2000s, 2005, uh, the Utilities Commission in North Carolina has required uh, those utilities to offer full retail net metering. So for whatever you export to the grid, if you're a homeowner or a small business owner and you're system, uh, you know, produces more than you consume, uh, that you get credited that retail rate. And that has really helped homeowners and business owners, uh, you know, pay back the, their system costs over time because um, your earlier guest probably went over that it, the solar production time and the time that we're at home uh, doesn't always uh, coincide. So you had a, a lot of export going uh, into the grid during the days when people are away. Uh, but this allows them to, you know, to monetize that export at, at the retail rate. So that policy has been instrumental in helping the the you know what I'm calling the rooftop industry in North Carolina, the the residential and and commercial installers uh, really get their businesses going over the past 
you know, decade and a half here in North Carolina. Um, now, with the, the municipal utilities and the, the electric cooperatives, um, it's kind of at their discretion if they offer net metering uh, at, at retail rate. And, and a lot of them don't. And we hear people reach out to us a lot of times asking for ways that they can change it. But they are uh, regulated by their members, if they're the cooperatives, or you know, by their uh, local government, city councils, if they're the municipal utilities. So um, it, I won't say it's uniform across the state, but uh, if you live in the, the investor-owned utility territories, you, you've had net metering at least for the past decade and a half and, and, and really uh, spawned this rooftop and residential solar industry we have here. Right. And one of the things that I think makes North Carolina's rooftop solar industry unique is that we, it really is comprised of a lot of mom and pop companies, a lot of local regional installers. We don't necessarily have so many of the big national players that you might have in a state like California or Arizona. So what could this mean for our homegrown rooftop solar industry if net metering provisions are changed and and made less appealing to either potential buyers or our homegrown industry? That's a great question. I, you know, we, I think part of that homegrown industry has been because we, we still don't have uh, third-party sales in North Carolina. Uh, House Bill 589 a couple years ago has allowed for, for leasing in the Duke Energy Territory, and we've seen some, uh, you know, commercial leasing starting to take place here. But we, uh, again, it, most of these systems are at a homeowner site or a small business person's site. Um, so I think this, this case is really important. Uh, it could really harm the, uh, the payback of, of these investments for the, for the businesses and for homeowners and, and make it uh, a lot harder for people to make that choice to go solar. And even people who have already installed it, you know, they're looking at a very uncertain future if, uh, say FERC granted this petition, uh, that, uh, you know, how many more years till I pay back my investment in the solar system, uh, that could be thrown into disarray here. Um, so there's, there's a lot of uncertainty and we have heard, you know, our, our, our business members are really, you know, uh, getting double whammies right now with the, with the impact of, uh, the pandemic and then, and now this potential threat looming out there. Uh, we have heard that they are worried. And, and I mean, their immediate concern right now is kind of um, dealing with the impacts of the p- pandemic. But, uh, you know, uh, NCSEA and our ally organizations are really keeping an eye on this case and, and have and are working with uh, our partner organizations like Vote Solar and Southern Environmental Law Center on, on, on uh, filing comments at FERC eventually. Sure. Yeah, I think it's definitely an all hands on deck approach for this one, because it is so important that not only the people that own systems now are fully compensated, but also to make sure that solar is still attractive for the new homeowner or the potential solar owner and and making sure that we can continue to expand our economy. So you know, one of the reasons that we brought you on the show is that I know you are hearing a lot on the ground from solar homeowners, NCSEA members, uh, our business members, 
rooftop solar companies. So what are some of those things that you're hearing directly from people on the ground about this case at FERC? Yeah, it's like I said, they, they are worried about this um, really reducing the attractiveness of, of going solar. Uh, you know, we have a policy in the state right now, House Bill 589, that has really helped stimulate investment in small-scale solar systems through the, the solar rebate program that um, is required under House Bill 589. Um, and within that provision, uh, we as a state also have to look at our net metering rates by 2027. Um, so we, you know, and South Carolina has already started looking into this, you know, North Carolina will eventually have to, in the next few years, uh, come up with kind of this, you know, a net metering 2.0, uh, regardless of what happens at FERC. But say this FERC petition did pass, it would really limit, uh, what that next step of net metering would look like to be only compensated at avoided cost is what the, um, from what I understand is what the, the petitioners are asking for in this case, which would really reduce, like I said, that, that uh, credit you get for anything you would export to the grid. These businesses are already hurting from changing economic circumstances. Uh, they're hurting a bit more than they were a few months ago. Uh, so this is just another layer of uncertainty on top of that. Uh, for them to manage, for them to communicate with their potential clients, uh, and for them to just another headache on, on top of everything else they're dealing with right now. Um, another important point here um, is that this would take away a lot of uh, state control and state uh, prioritization of these types of clean energy policies. You know, North Carolina, uh, 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 Governor Cooper has uh, issued Executive Order 80. Uh, and, and in that process, we've developed the clean energy plan and, or in the implementation phases of that plan right now. And this case could really limit, um, you know, some of those distributed solar policy proposals that could come out of that. It would uh, have a federal entity, the FERC, uh, regulate these distributed solar systems and, and how they are uh, compensated for what they export to the grid, regardless of what type of um, you know, priorities we might as a state want to give to those types of systems and, and may want to encourage the growth of those systems. So it's also a state versus federal issue here uh, that that could have uh, ramifications in a lot of different areas for clean energy, I think. You're talking about net metering 2.0. We're looking at the future, seeing this need for revisions to net metering policies in North Carolina that are in statute. So what do you hope to see for the future of net metering in North Carolina and how can we get there? That's a great question. I think ideally net metering as it stands now has really worked. I mean, we've really gotten a, uh, uh, like you said, homegrown mom and pop style industry of, of, of uh, residential and small commercial solar companies across the state. Um, you know, and we all benefit from these systems. They, uh, we benefit not just from the electricity, but from the environmental benefits they produce, from the jobs they create for the installers. And 
full disclosure here, I should say I used to work for uh, one of our member companies <laughs> uh, installing these systems on people's roofs. So I, I know how hard a job it is. And I, I, I didn't last too long in it. I only made it through one summer in North Carolina being on people's roofs installing these systems. So it's not an easy job, but it's a good job and a good paying job. Um, and I think uh, whatever happens, we we as NCSEA and, and just advocates in general uh, really want to preserve as much as we can the, the system we have now because it has been working and uh, and is a fair way to approach, uh, you know, compensating people for what what they're uh, producing for all of us in the state, and and what we all benefit from. So, um, you know, I think we can get into the nuances of, of what other states have have done on, on maybe another episode or another time. But <laughs> a lot of states are starting to have these conversations, and and have had these conversations, and some have gone, you know, from our from my perspective, pretty. Poorly, we've. I think uh, was it Nevada a few years ago that you know kind of reversed itself after they really kind of gutted their net metering provisions. But um, but anyway, historically this this policy has worked well, and I hope it can continue to work well. And, and also in, in areas where net metering is not offered in North Carolina, that some progress can be made there to help encourage distributed and customer owned systems in, in those territories as well. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, we could we could spend a lot of time talking about the future of this, but really we have this this issue in front of us that hopefully a lot of our listeners can engage with. So, we're going to have some resources for you at the end of the show to to engage on this issue and make sure that your voice is heard as we as we stand up for this attack on rooftop solar, but Daniel, I want to thank you for for coming on the show today and providing some of that North Carolina context. We appreciate you being on the ground there doing that work and certainly appreciate you being a guest on Squeaky Clean. Thanks, Ben. Good to talk to you again. And that's all, folks, the 30th episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy podcast, bringing the latest in clean energy right to your ears. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you can continue to engage with NCSEA as we continue our Making Energy Work webinar series. These webinars are free to members and the public alike, and if you want to continue learning about net metering, then you'll want to register for our next webinar on June 23rd at 3 p.m., because we are going to have state, level, and national speakers taking a deep dive on this crucial mechanism. To register, please visit makingenergywork.com. Thanks again for joining us today, and have a great day.